Welcome to Improbable Walks, the podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris, wherever you are. My name is Lisa Passold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the City of Light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and of the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your time and ears. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassold.com, for photos, previous streets, and more information. You can support this free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lisapassold. And you can encourage the podcast by subscribing, which lets you know when our new episodes are posted and helps improbable walks to find new listeners. Today, we're heading up to the Batignolles in the top north corner of the 17th arrondissement. You might remember the painters of the Batignolles from our Impressionists in Clichy improbable walk in May of last year. For that walk, we went up from Place de Clichy into Clichy proper, talking about addresses important to 19th century Impressionist painters like Edouard Manet and Claude Monet, along with 20th century writers Anais Nin and Henry Miller. But today, let's pick up the trace of history starting at the Metro Rome, on the Boulevard des Batignolles in the 17th. Coming out of the metro, the first thing you notice are the train tracks, which lead down towards Gare Saint-Lazare, which is the oldest train station in Paris. It's difficult to imagine that in the first part of the 19th century, this really was a village, a real retreat from Paris. The area we'll be walking through today includes parts of the former village of Batignolles and the village of Monceau. The territory was annexed by the city in 1860 as part of Haussmann's urban expansion plan, while the lower part of the 17th arrondissement has become expensive and exclusive, the upper part is more middle and working class. That's because initially, after 1860, this new neighborhood was close to the railway station, convenient for factories developing in the northeast of the city. There was a mix of housing, some old and inexpensive, similar to that in Montmartre, and some fashionable apartment buildings on the new Haussmann boulevards. This mix made the Batignolles attractive to both workers and impoverished artists, as well as middle-class families looking for larger space than central Paris afforded. Today, with the exciting new buildings going up around the modern extension of the Batignolles Park, that popular working demographic continues to grow. From the metro, let's cross the boulevard onto the Rue Boursault and start walking north. The street was named for an 18th century actor and politico of the revolution named Boursault, who owned land here. Part of the street changed in 1921 after a serious railway accident in the Batignolles Tunnel. The rail yard was widened after that. The first building between us and the train tracks going north is the weirdly shaped narrow restaurant building Le Wagon Bleu at number 7 Rue Boursault. 
The restaurant, the Wagon Bleu, used to serve Corsican food, though now the menu is more randomly international, veering from hamburgers to roast duck. The Corsican tradition comes from the fact that originally this was simply a local dive bar, more of a shack, really, with a large pétanque game area, a muddy strip of ground where men could play boule. But the restaurant's Blue Wagon name comes from a surprising fact. The restaurant dining room is partly a revamped train compartment. The Wagon Bleu is the name of the train cars that originally went south from Paris, i.e. some of the train cars used by the Orient Express. In the 1950s, one of these elegant train cars was headed for retirement. The Corsican pétanque players here decided to rescue the train wagon, and they had it moved to their pétanque court beside the tracks. They adopted the retired train car as an extension of their bar overlooking the tracks. In the 1960s, film industry shoots helped restore the train interior. I personally haven't eaten here, but it's on my list of weird dining locations to try in Paris. So if you get there before I do, please let me know how it is. This is where the train tracks disappear from being seen on our walk. Now the Rue Bourseau becomes a more normal-looking street. We can walk past a pretty fire hall and then a very old covered market at number 29. This building is one of the oldest covered markets still standing in Paris, dating from 1839, though today it is no longer a market, so don't plan to buy any food here. This street appears in Guy de Montpassant's novel Belle Amie. The lead character lives in a plain apartment here overlooking the railway tracks. The description of the location is evocative, but not at all flattering to the neighborhood. But then writer Maupassant was never one to admire a pretty vista when he could describe lying in a dirty puddle. Our next destination goal on Rue Bourseau is to admire a pair of little-known Art Nouveau masterpieces created by Parisian architect René-Auguste Simonet. So let's stroll up to numbers 62 and 64 Rue Bourseau. This is a lovely neighborhood today, a very normal Parisian residential atmosphere with a few businesses and the occasional bakery. It's amazing how quickly the busy train tracks disappear from one's mind walking here. The apartment buildings along the Rue Bourseau are a pleasant mix of houseman and 20th century. As we walk up the street, it's easy to spot Simonet's work coming up on the right. In 1901, he designed number 62. In 1910, he completed number 64. And they're both beautiful, quirky Art Nouveau buildings with swirling creative lines that predate the Art Deco movement. When you think of the metro station entrances, the traditional green ones by Guimard, that's one of the most famous Art Nouveau shapes in the city. But these two buildings, though little known, are equally good examples. Looking at the two apartment buildings, the first thing you'll probably notice are the eccentric window shapes, very different from the more traditional buildings you've just walked past. But what makes the facades especially delightful is the tile work by Alexandre Bigot. 
A brilliant ceramicist from Normandy, Bigot studied chemistry and designed innovative tiles for some of my favorite Paris Art Nouveau masterpieces, including Hector Guimard's Castel Béranger and the wild Passage d'Enfer building in Campagne Première down in Montparnasse, where the photographer Man Ray had his studio. I love Bigot's work. He was also involved in another René-Auguste Simonet project over in nearby Clichy. These were the entrepôts for the department store Printemps. The entrepôts were built in 1908 up in Clichy. They were the warehouses for the big department store to keep its wares. Now, the actual shop Printemps is located just below Gare Saint-Lazare, so it was basically a direct run from the stockpiling in the warehouse down to the department store where the material could be sold. We will keep walking up the street, however, passing number 68, which is another beautiful Art Nouveau building, not Simonez, but still quite nice. And within a block, we're facing an entrance into the traditional park, the Square des Batignolles. When I was there this past January, the area was filled with Christmas trees being recycled for garden coverage, and there were cheerful dogs frolicking in the piles of evergreen needles. The Square is one of the smaller Paris parks designed by the great Adolphe Alphand, who was responsible for improving public green space during the Haussmann renovations of the Second Empire. Alphand designed innumerable parks in Paris, including the Bois de Boulogne, the Bois de Vincennes, and my favorite, Butte Chaumont. So maybe it's not surprising that Alphand was almost unique among the people who worked for Napoleon III during this renovation period. Because after the Second Empire collapsed, Alphand stayed on in Paris and was very popular with Parisians, walking through this traditional square that he designed always rejuvenates the soul. Now, if we walk through the square and stand at the top northern exit, we're looking at a whole new cityscape. The area is formally called the ZAC, ZAC, Clichy Batignolles. It's 54 hectares, mostly built on former SNCF railway land. The city started work on this new residential area in 2001, and now, after 20 years of work, it's looking really good. Development includes apartments, office buildings, mixed commerce, schools, theatres, and the new Tribunal de Paris, designed by the famous architect Renzo Piano. Although I'm a fan of piano, I'm not super fond of the new tribunal, which looks a bit like a transformer. But I do really like some of the new apartment buildings that surround the amazing park extension. This is the huge Parc Clichy Batignolles Martin Luther King. So let's cross Rue Cardinet, walking out of the old traditional square and into the new neighborhood. We're going to walk up the difficult-to-pronounce Mstislav Rostropovich Street. The street is named for the famous Russian cellist and conductor who won the 1974 award for the International League of Human Rights. That same year, he left the Soviet Union and went into exile. 
From Washington, Rostropovich worked tirelessly as a conductor and as an activist. In his later life, he moved to Paris, and he was living in Paris when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. From Paris, he flew to Berlin, and he chose to play Bach on his cello in front of the graffiti-covered Berlin Wall on November 11, 1989, two days after the official fall of the wall. For a video link to watch this moment, visit my website. It's a surprisingly low-key video moment as a scene, just an older man seated on a borrowed guard's chair plays the cello. He's surrounded by a small group of plainly dressed Berliners, mostly from East Berlin. Rostopovich later said that this moment marked the unification of his life, which had been divided by his exile. He had vocally supported Czech artists and prote protested the Soviet suppression of the 1968 Prague Spring. He said, Every man must have the right fearlessly to think independently and express his opinion about what he knows, what he has personally thought about and experienced, and not merely to express with slightly different variations the opinion which has been inculcated into him. Rostropovich died in 2007. This street named for the famous cello player feels completely different from the earlier Rue Bourseau. The street itself is slightly wider, but the buildings are much higher and 21st century, of course, and as a result, the light and sound feel very different. Generally, I'm dubious about entirely new-built neighborhoods because I think the best urban spaces evolve slowly over time, the fabric shifting and absorbing new uses. But this new area is developing well at the moment, with popular cafes, community centers, social offices, and businesses. Many of the new apartments have great views of the huge new park just to our right, and the whole neighborhood is oriented towards the park. It has an eco-rating as a residential neighborhood, which means the buildings have been carefully planned to have renewable energy sources to collect rainwater, etc. And at night, unlike many locations in Paris, the park is dark. It's closed. It's dark. So you can actually see more stars from these apartments overlooking the park than in several other places in the busy city of Paris. Now, one of my favorite buildings here is the brand new Tour Unique at number 22. You'll notice the distinctive white-clad shape with its varying setbacks and curves. There are, in fact, two turrets here, each designed by a different architect. The lower building is by Christian Bichard, and the rounder, higher turret is by Chinese architect Yansong Ma. The building complex includes social housing, a greenhouse, a daycare, along with expensive, expansive apartments. So it's a really interesting, very useful mix for this edge of popular Paris. There's also a colorful metro entrance designed by artist Tobias Ryberger, built right into the corner of the building. I have a photo of that on my website if you want to check it out. Now, standing here looking at this fabulous new creation, the Tour Unique, I like to imagine our old Art Nouveau architect, Simonet, 
in discussion with architect Yansong Ma, because both architects are taking new contemporary innovations in ways to build buildings and using inspiration from nature and light to create housing. Now let's wrap up by turning right and walking into one of the pedestrian entrances designed directly alongside the Tour Unique so you can walk right into the park as you go around the building. The beautiful new park includes the marshland planting, which is especially fun to stroll through with beautiful water plants, blooming iris coming up soon because spring is iris season, and there's also a healthy duck population. If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to the podcast. For photos and details about today's walk, please visit my website, lisapassel.com. If you're looking for further links and information, you can support this free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lisapasselt. Many thanks, as always, to my tiny podcast team, Bremner Fletcher for tech help and David Simmons for the atmospheric accordion theme music. Until the next time, we go walking into Paris together. Together.